All right, everybody, welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. Pastor here, Dustin, with Steve Prudian. And uh, this week we're going to be moving on to Job 12. This is Job's response to Zophar, the first of three responses. But before we get, Steve, how was your week? It's been interesting studying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because of the fact that I had to look at three phases of uh, of uh, Job's response to this fellow Zophar and, and dissect them to what they really mean and what they're really saying, it's been um, a, a studious week. I believe that. Um, it it seems like in our in our before the recording conversation, um, it kind of seems like Job is loading both barrels for his response to Zophar, finds out he doesn't have enough, so he grabs another one. Because um, he's going to let him have it. And he's going to tell him just exactly what uh, what really Zophar needs to know. Because Zophar's arrogant, and he's a know-it-all, and Job is telling him, at least in this first part, he starts off by telling him, you think you have wisdom, you have nothing. Well, we talked last week, and um, the two former friends who've talked to Job were more on the diplomatic side. Right. Even though they were accusing Job of the very same thing that Zophar is. In fact, everybody who has, is, that has talked and will talk, because there's another character after Zophar, mm-hmm. he will speak as well. But they all make an assumption. Bad things happen to you because you did bad things. Yep. Okay. Yep. We've talked about that kindergarten theology. Right. And we, yep. ca- we, we call that sin. Correct. So far, it's like you've heard the expression to save the best for last. Well, in this particular case, the friends saved the very worst for last. Right. Because Zophar is a person with no sympathy, with no compassion. Mm-hmm. Technically, he has no heart. Right. And he really doesn't care about the feelings of Job. And Job has listened to him. But now Job, I think that Job has done a remarkable job in how he addresses Zophar because he brings in evidence that's irrefutable even to the wise Zophar. Right. And when you have evidence... That evidence does demand a verdict. Mm -hmm. And that verdict is that Zophar isn't quite right. And even though Job admits he doesn't understand what's going on, he does not shy away from defending the ways of God. So I would call this, again, an example, even in weakness— of Job being a defender of the faith, and he is defending God. It is no wonder that he had the favor of God. It is no Mm -hmm. wonder that God blessed him. It is no wonder that God had complete confidence in Job, no matter what Satan threw at him. And you know what? 
through the fire that he's going through, he's passing the test. Yep. Even though we might want to say he's failed because he questions why these things are happening. But what man wouldn't question why these things are happening? A Christian person who isn't aware of what it is that he needs or she needs to do is going to ask the question, why is this happening? Absolutely. And a wise person, once they realize that answer, will act upon why this is happening. Sometimes it's happening from external forces, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's happening because we're our own worst enemy. Right. So from there, let's continue with the, with the topic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, again, last week we talked about what Zophar is saying. The words that he's using are mostly correct. The problem is he's arrogant. And he is coming at Job in a very attacking position. There's nothing that he says theologically right. that is not true. Correct. It's the way he says it would make us get angry at him because he's taking the Bible and basically banging it over people's heads. Right. Right. And this is something that we have seen in the church. It happens from time to time. And it does need to get corrected. And... Uh, Job makes it really clear that he doesn't accept the attitude that Zophar is giving. He doesn't respond a whole lot, if at all in this chapter, to actually what was said. He's responding to the arrogance. You know, there's something interesting about Job. What's that? Find a place in Job other than bewilderment, where Job expresses anger. Okay? And you tell me what person, under the kind of attacks that Job is having, wouldn't get angry. What does it take for a person who is under attack to be able to not get angry at false accusations? I'll tell you when I find them. Um... But what's interesting is that in his response, he responds to the attitude that is incorrect. And then he doesn't defend himself. Because that's what I would do. I would totally defend myself. I would go through everything that Zophar just said, point by point, and try to make him see that I am not what he says I am. Job doesn't do that. Job doesn't really, in this response at all, seem to care about what Zophar thinks of him. He finds it as an opportunity, and like you said, he's passing the test. He finds it as an opportunity to teach Zophar about who God really is. And it's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. So, 
when Zophar dies, because that's one of the things he, he says, when you die, your wisdom will die with you. What's true wisdom? You're holding it in your hand. I am. Is it dead? Absolutely not. Have the writers died? Yes. Is the wisdom still here today? Yes, it is. So now you know what true wisdom is. Uh huh. It isn't in the mind or the hand who holds it. No, no. No, true, true wisdom comes from God. And we go all the way down to verse 13. And Job says, well, go back to 12. Wisdom belongs to the ages and understanding to the old, but true wisdom and power are found in God. Counsel and understanding are his. That's unfortunately lost in our world. Just as lost in our world today as it was back then. So, when Zophar dies, is any wisdom lost? Just what he thought was wisdom. Just his own wisdom. And So, how are we better off than Zophar? We don't trust our own wisdom. Whose wisdom do we have? We've got God's wisdom. Yeah, we have the wisdom that Jesus gives us. Yes, we do. Does that wisdom ever die? It won't. No. And what's, no. That, what's that wisdom called? It's another name for Jesus. What is that wisdom called? It's called the Word. Mm -hmm. The Word is wisdom. Yep. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate this because I think it needs to happen. Wisdom and knowledge. Two different things. Very different things. Very, very different things. Because the demons know who Jesus is, and they shudder. Mm -hmm. They don't have the wisdom to accept the hierarchy of how things actually are. They don't have the wisdom to accept God as God and Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there very much is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. And just like with the demons, knowing is not enough. So, how do we prove our wisdom? Wisdom, wisdom, sifted, reveals truth. Yep. And Jesus is the truth. And the Word of God is truth. So if you want wisdom, then you have to be connected to Jesus who is truth, mm -hmm. who can give you the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit. So when you read his word, you can understand the wisdom, the, the limited 
wisdom that God has given us for our understanding. Right. I like Cliff Notes. It's called the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really long Cliff Notes thing. And then... The evidence. The evidence. The evidence is that we live for God's will instead of our own. That's right. You display the fruit of mm -hmm. the Spirit through the works that you do through the power of the Spirit. Correct. That is correct. And here's, here's something interesting that I'm just going to kind of throw out there. But I think it is interesting that it seems like there are days when I feel close to God. And there are days when I feel more wretched than I've ever felt. And it seems like the, the more we mature in our faith, the more love we have for God and the more love we have for Jesus, the more, the more our own sin is illuminated and the better we see it and the clearer we see it and so in some ways and maybe it's just me but in some ways there are days when that makes me feel pretty far from god it makes me feel almost hopeless and so so i question can god really truly love me because I'm a sinner. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. I confess all these things. But there's days when it's kind of like I need that reassurance. So where do I get that reassurance from? Where do I get that, that evidence that I have that true relationship with God. If the Spirit dwells within you, you need no other evidence. The problem is, is, is that you're getting in the way. Oh, I know that I'm getting in the way. And if you get in the way of a gentleman, which the Holy Spirit is, he will step aside and let you have your doubts and your fears and your temper tantrums, okay? And just be the human being that you are. Right. Until you get so exhausted that you can now listen to what he has to say. And he's not going to scream at you and he's not going to accuse you. He's mm -hmm. not going to play the part of the devil because he can't. What he's going to do, he's going to bring you peace He's going to bring you assurance. He's going to lift you up. He's going to comfort you. And when you're ready, he will give you the proper teaching and the proper guidance in your life. The problem with people is that we do not want to be tried. Right. We do not want to suffer. It is really easy for us in our own strength, which isn't much, 
to doubt God. And the reason we doubt God is is because to the human mind, God is an abstract. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen him. We haven't talked to him. All we don't is is what we've heard about him. Right. And we don't know whether or not what we've heard about him has been internalized within us, even though that we believe. And therefore, we have doubts. Yes, we do. However, the proof is, if you don't have a trial, and God couldn't come alongside and help you through that trial, you wouldn't have the same belief that you believe in, in him today. Because it's through our trials he makes us strong. Right. Okay? I like frosting on my cake. But frosting on the cake doesn't make the cake. No, it doesn't. Okay? The cake is really what I classify the bread. Most of us Christians, we want the sweet part of our faith, but we want to neglect the bread. Mm -hmm. But the bread actually has the nutrition where the sweetness is just sweetness. Right. Yeah. The question Job is asking so far is this. He's asking so far, do you have a true relationship with God? A lot of people mm -hmm. are religious, but does that mean that they have a true relationship with God? What do you think? I think, um, I think I'm just going to lean on a quote, and I'm sorry I don't know exactly where it came from, but I'm just going to lean on a quote that I heard a couple years ago. You're going to get to heaven, and you're going to be surprised by some of the people you see, and you're going to be surprised by some of the people you don't. I don't think I'm going to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. There's a few there's a few people that I'd be surprised if I do see that right. I have wanted to see, but to their dying breath they were still cursing God. Right. So my question is is um this is not the way to go. <laughs> no, that's not this the way is to not go. The way. You know that Job tells Zophar that there's a test that Zophar has to pass in order to prove that he has a true relationship with God. Yes, he does. And do you see what those questions, what that test is? Does he answer you? Well, do you, first of when all... You, when you talk to God, does he you, answer? When you talk to God, does he, does he talk back? Does he answer you? Well, does he? Yes. And oftentimes he says things you don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And usually the, the kind of despair moments that I have and... You ever, would you ever play sports? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. I've, I've never been super competitive. Okay, well, guys who've played sports, and mm -hmm. the pastor, of course, he played sports and he coached sports. Yep. Okay, do you know that you can't get better in sports until you have been coached in correction? In yes. other words, somebody has to see what you could do better that you're not doing so good and show you what that better is 
so you can practice being better. Right. And therefore, you become more proficient in your athleticism, whatever your sport is. Do you know that in the Apostle Paul equates our Christian life to being an athlete? And running a race. And the thing is, is, is that we may stumble and we may fall, but one of the things we fail to do in our Christian lives is we fail to establish what our pace is or what God's pace for us to run is at. And the thing is, is it's not about winning the sprint. It's about getting to the finish line. Yep, and actually, um, to that end, I'll tell a story about my son last year. He joined cross-country last year, which, as we know, is a race. Especially uphill. (laughs) (laughs) It's an uphill run. Um, So we were a little bit behind in getting him to practice and different things. Um, Still, you know, it's a new thing, so we had to figure out... um, all of that. So we get him to his first practice and it's the middle schoolers essentially joining the high school practice is how that works out. It's not an official middle school practice, but, um, the high school has a meet coming up. So they're doing a little bit more strenuous. They're going more inclined. Well, they're going, so they have a time Mm -hmm. they run, Basically, it's you run for 20 minutes, turn around, and then come back. And your and your return time is supposed to be less than your out time. And so figuring out the pace that God has set for you, my son hadn't done this yet. It's his first run with the, with the club. He gets up there, and he keeps pace with the varsity runners. As an eighth grader, he's keeping up with the juniors and the seniors for that first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then they turn around and they picked up the pace mm-hmm. because they still had gas in the tank. They knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. He turned around. He started running. They left him in the dust. And it was a really, really hard and trying experience for him, especially as his first practice. Now, not only is he running probably slower than everybody else because his pace has fallen so much, but he's also the furthest away from the goal because he ran as fast as the fastest and now he's going slower than the slowest. And it took him a lot longer to finish than had he run at his pace, the pace that should have been set for him. He, he hadn't been it. coached yet. He hadn't been coached yet. He hadn't been coached yet. And you know how you learn what not to do? You By fall on wrong. you fall on your face. Yep. Okay. And you don't finish well. Right. With a little bit of coaching and some encouragement, he had a really good season. He found his pace, and he was able to speed up in a lot of the races. He was faster than the one before it. Do you know who you race against? Do I race against myself? You race against yourself. You race against your own record. Yeah. Because if you look at behind you or if you look before you, you'll fail every time. 
Yes, you will. Because that's not your race. Exactly. Interesting. That's exactly what I told my son about cross country. It's great to get in the lead. It's great I've to watched, finish. I, I've early. watched. The, I've watched the high school boys. I haven't seen the girls, but I've watched the high school boys in the winter. Yep. When they can't run out so outside, I've watched them warm up in a gym, mm -hmm. and then I've watched them run up and down both sides of a building, three flights of stairs, about ten times, mm -hmm. and they just got to keep going. They gotta be doing the elevation by going up and down the stairs. Because you know what's interesting? Cross country running is just like life. Yes, some it days is. you're gonna go level, you're gonna go flat, some days which are easy, some days you're gonna go uphill, which you think is gonna kill you, but it's the going downhill that really hurts. Yeah. Okay? You would think going downhill was gonna be the easiest. Downhill is the hardest because now you're using muscles that you haven't used before in order to be able to stabilize your speed and your braking. Yep. Yeah, we don't use those muscles nearly exactly. as much as we use exactly. the go fast ones. Exactly, and spiritually, ones. we're like that too. Mm -hmm. We're not conditioned for endurance. No, we're not. We are not. All right, so let's uh, let's move on with Job's lesson to Zophar. So he says, here's the test. If you have a true relationship with God, you talk to him, he answers you. And his next question, his next point, is talk to nature. What is nature saying? So how does that fit into to this lesson, what is, what is it that the animals are revealing about God and that nature reveals about God? Well, actually, this is Job's tongue-in-cheek. Okay. Okay? If you don't look at it for what it really is, Job is saying the animals are smarter than Zophar is. Literally, he's saying the birds are smarter than you. In yeah. essence, Zophar didn't even have a bird brain. Right. <laughs> bird brain was too much of a right. compliment for this but man. What he's saying is, he's saying this is that the birds know who created them. Yes, they do. The birds, the birds and all the rest of the animals and all of nature knows who sustains them. Mm -hmm. The difference is, is nature versus man. Nature is dependent and is grateful. Yep. Where man is independent and ungrateful. And prideful and arrogant. And prideful and arrogant. And so he's basically trying to point out to Zophar that, sorry, buddy, but the animals are better than you are. Mm -hmm. Okay? The thing is, is, is that if you look at nature even today, and if you look at nature in your Bible, none of the animals at any time have to answer to God for sinning. Right. None of the animals have to confess that they're a sinner. And the Bible says, look at the birds. 
Mm-hmm. What do they do? God feeds them. Yep. Okay, they don't have to do anything. God feeds them. What does man have to do? We've got to work. He has to humble himself like a bird. Yep. Okay, he has to become dependent, not independent, upon God. Mm-hmm. It's our independence that makes us think we don't need God. Okay? What makes us call out to God is is when we cannot take care of ourselves. Usually. Oftentimes when I, we find that our independence is not enough and we can't find the enough anywhere on this earth. So subsequently, we cry out to the one who is enough, and that is God. And for the Christian, that's Jesus Christ. Yep. All right, so... So what then is our next lesson? What does Job move on to after he's done uh, with his tongue-in-cheek little ridicule of Zophar? Well, the lessons we learn here is these, okay? Job has actually gone into the teacher mode. Yep. Okay, and he's saying, which we've heard before in the Bible, he's saying, taste and hear God and you will grow in wisdom from God. Okay, and we're familiar with the verse that says, taste and see God and Mm -hmm. learn from God. Yep. Okay. The other thing that Job is saying is, he says this, he says, if you deny God, you are both deceived and a deceiver. If you deny God, you deny Mm -hmm. God's truth, you know what? You're more than stupid. Before you started out stupid, but now you're deceived, and because you're deceived, you are playing the part of the deceiver, trying to deceive other people. Right. Playing right into the hands of Satan. But he says this. He says, no matter who you are or who you think you are or how great you are, that there is a time of destruction. And this time of destruction is next in your life. So, how far are we from our last breath? Could be moments. We're as far away as our next breath. Right. Our last breath could be our next breath. You may right. not you may not finish it. You may not. You may not finish it. Okay. Now, if you deny God, okay, we already talked about about being deceived. Yeah, deceived. that's that's an interesting thought because if you deny God, you're not you're not ignorant. In order to deny something, you have to know of something. And so saying I don't know is saying I don't know. But saying I know and God's not it, now you're lying to that person. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that. A lot of people do do that. And it's, 
it's just an interesting way to put it that I haven't really considered before, that you are both deceived and a deceiver, because as soon as you confess a lie, mm-hmm. you are now deceiving somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that means that Zophar, because he's being called the deceiver by which is, a, which is another name for what? A liar. Devil. A devil. A devil. A Satan, adversary, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we've got a lot of deceivers. We've got a lot of people who deny the existence of God. Can you be religious and be a deceiver? Yeah. Yes, you can. You can. So, religion doesn't save you. No. No, back to that true relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we need. We need that true saving relationship with God through Jesus. Do you know what religion is to a hunter? What's that? Do you, do you hunt? You come from Minnesota. Do you yeah, hunt? Yeah, I hunt. Okay. I don't hunt. I'm from Boston. Okay. Okay. They took away the guns in Boston when I was a kid. Nobody could have guns. Did you know that? There's, you can't own uh, guns in Boston? Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. Okay, I know you don't want to get into that. However, (laughs) however, what happens with some hunters is they can't tell the real target from the decoy. Right. And so subsequently, a lot of people go to church and they're religious, but they don't know that their religion is a decoy. Right. Because that's all they've known. It is all they've known. And what's interesting in that is when we experience that from that teacher perspective, we need to do exactly what Job is doing here and try to show that person who God really is. We might not do it in the same way, But those are certainly people that we need to come alongside of, and they need to be discipled and brought into correction. Do you know it's easier to disciple a person who knows nothing than a person who has some religious background? Oh, I'm sure it is. Because you have to break apart the bias of that religion, where with a person who knows nothing... You can build from the ground up. Right. Right, but I think we're back to the frosting on the cake. Yeah, you're back to the frosting on the cake, but the thing is, it's easier to disciple a person who knows nothing. Right. Where everything is fresh and new than to have to try to take a person who thinks they have a righteous position with God and show them that their righteousness is filthy rags. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree with you 100%. One I just, is, I just one, one is almost impossible. It is. It is. I didn't say it is impossible. One is it, almost it is, impossible. It is almost impossible. However, I do think that it is worth the effort. It is. It's always worth the effort. You it's, want to know it's why? It's always worth the effort. You know why? Why is that? Because it's the responsibility and command that God has given 
to us who know to share. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's up to us who, to be able to talk to people that I call them that are in the shadows. Right. Okay? In the shadowlands that are in the gray zone. They know something, but they don't know enough. Right. Right. And that, uh, I think that kind of leads into our final point. It does. Go ahead. You do the final point. I do the final point. You do the final point. You get, you get the last word. <laughs> so the final point in Job's teaching is all about Jesus. Live in the light as he, Jesus, is the light. We're to do good and flee from evil. And this is, uh, this is made really obvious in my Bible. Um, it's, a, it's a variation called the Jesus-Centered Bible. It's an NLT translation, but it has uh, Old Testament when they're talking about Jesus in blue. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a take on the red-letter Bible. But uh, So Job 12, starting in 22 and through 25, the end. He uncovers mysteries and darkness. He brings light to the deepest gloom. He builds up nations, and he destroys them. He expands nations, and he abandons them. He strips kings of understanding and leaves them wandering in a pathless wasteland. They grope in the darkness without a light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. That's our choice. We can either go with the God who uncovers mysteries and walk in that light, or we can turn our back on him and grope around in the darkness. And he is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, my path. path. Do you want to go alone in the dark? No. No. You need the lamp and the light. Yes, we do. Are you holding the lamp and the light? Some days I hold it tighter than others. I'll just put it that way. Some days all I can do is the best I can do is I'll say, I don't know where we're going. But since you got the light, I'm following you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some days all I can do is just hold on to that lamp with dear life. So, all right. So that was this week. This week is uh, Zophar's Arrogance. Mm-hmm. What do we got coming up next week? Well, we're not done with Zophar at all. Not even close. N not even close. Let's take we, a We said this was part one of three. It is part one of three. Let's take a look over here. I think I may have given you something earlier. You did. Good. I'm glad. Cause I can't remember if I made a copy for myself. Next week, we're going to talk about the real man, Job. You say, well, what have we been talking about up to now? Okay. And the fact is, is, is that there is a comparison of the real man of Job, okay, and then the hope for man of Job. Job chapter 13 is who Job really is, okay? okay. But Job chapter 14 is who Job is hoping to be. The lesson to be learned is 
Do you know who you are? And do you know what you hope to be? Because you're alive because God has hope for you yet. So mm -hmm. you are still becoming what God wants you to become. Even though you're the real man you are today, there's room for improvement. I'm sure we'll say this again next week, but you mean I'm not perfect? Ask your wife. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming in. Great, you're great talking to you. You're more than welcome. You.